eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early stage startups. How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company, it's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. And actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most brighten their, their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with my good buddy and uh, fellow Sportsman's Empire podcast host, uh, and the guy that just happens to own the network, Mr. Dan Johnson. You may have heard of Dan. He used to be the host of this podcast before he passed it off to me a couple of months ago. He is also the host of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, the Hunting Gear podcast. He's got a lot going on right now, uh, but the dude is a killer. Uh, I think he's got a streak of like six or seven years in a row that he's been successful on a mature buck in Iowa. And recently some things have changed about his hunting situation. You know, he's got some farms there in Iowa that are all permission. He doesn't pay to lease land, but he does hunt on a couple of different farms by permission. Well, recently he lost a farm and he picked up a farm. And that kind of got him and us today talking about the question, how do you access hard to access pieces of property? And what I mean by that is those places that are hard to get to without spooking deer. Maybe your property has one way in and one way out. 
Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, your only access is through the bottom and all the deer bed on the ridges and they can see you coming in. Or maybe, you know, it's mostly ag ground and you have to cross big ag fields to get to the timber. Those spots can be really tough to hunt. So in this episode, Dan and I are talking about how he and I would both attack different kinds of access challenges. And we cover a handful of other things as well about how to get creative with your access. You know, oftentimes access is not one of those things that guys give a lot of thought to. Maybe you're like me, uh, at least earlier on in my hunting career, my thinking was always, hey, I'm at point A, my stand is at point B, the quickest way for me to get there is a straight line. And the only thing that's going to deter me to, to move one way or another off of this line is a thicket or a creek or some kind of terrain feature or issue that I have to go around. But for the most part, I'm going to make a straight line there. Well, I've since learned that, hey, these spots are on fire except for the days that I'm in there. You know, I'm watching trail camera photos and I'm thinking, man, these deer are there every single day until I am there. And then boom, they're gone. Well, what is the, what's, what's the problem? What's going on? The problem is I was oftentimes not accessing these spots very well. A really good illustration of this is a run-in with an eight-pointer that I had on opening day of Wisconsin's bow season last year. I had been watching this deer uh, throughout the summer, actually throughout the very end of the summer, early August-ish, when the acorns began to fall in some bur oaks. I threw up a camera, got him very, very quickly. He was really consistent. Those acorns dried up. The buck disappeared for a couple of days. I quickly relocated him uh, on the next set of oaks down the hill from where I had caught him before. And again, very, very consistent. Heading into opening day, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's a sure thing. Like, he's definitely going to be there in daylight. I go in there. I've got a great wind. The wind and the thermals are working in the same direction, pulling my scent down toward this pond. I get in there quiet. I get set up, and the deer's a no-show. What happened? Well, I busted him on the way in. I anticipated that these deer were bedding on a ridge, and so I just walked straight through a CRP field. Well, it turns out I learned later through doing a bit more scouting that early in the season, those deer were not bedded in the timber. They were actually bedded in the CRP. And so the way that I accessed this stand, he could see me coming from a long ways off. And so he knew that I was there already. So the hunt was really over before it even got started. Access is super important. So give it some thought, give it some attention. And hopefully in today's episode, we're going to help you get creative with how to access those hard to reach spots. Before we jump in, though, I do just want to say thank you to you as the listener. We couldn't be doing this every single week without you and your support. Just got some download numbers the other day. You guys are awesome. I love the fact that more and more people are tuning into this show every single week. And that's allowing us to do a lot of really cool things. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it in the audio, but I'm actually recording this introduction in my brand new uh, podcast studio. It's actually treated for sound. Uh, The first time I've ever had this kind of controlled environment to be able to record. So I'm super pumped. It may not, uh, it may not necessarily increase the audio quality, but you know what I can't hear? I can't hear my kids screaming in the other room and I can't hear uh, people walking around upstairs. And uh, so, yeah, all of that kind of stuff is made possible by you guys and by our partners. And so I just want to say a quick thanks to them. First of all, Tacticam, they are the title sponsor of this show and also of my other show, the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, 
They just dropped uh, a whole new line of products. They've got their uh, 6.0 point of view camera, which if you haven't seen it yet, it actually has an LCD screen on it, which is fantastic. That was probably my number one complaint about a Tacticam camera before this was that to be able to view the footage, I had to go and upload the video from the camera to some other device so that I could watch it. Well, now that's gone. You can watch the video back right there on your camera. They've taken the ease of use to a whole new level with being able to zoom easily on right there with the screen. And of course, this thing is um, one-touch operation, just like you're used to, weatherproof, just like you're used to. And uh, man, super slick, looks really, really nice. I can't wait to be filming my hunts with that this fall. In fact, I'm considering not even bringing my big camera. I don't know. We'll have to see. Need to toy around with it a bit, but uh, yeah, definitely a really impressive camera. They've also got their Solo Extreme, which is a little bit more budget-friendly option. Unlike the 6.0, it does not shoot 4K, but it does shoot HD. And if you want quality at a budget price point, the Solo Extreme is, is definitely a good one for you. And then obviously they've got their Reveal X Pro cameras that have been out for a couple of weeks now. The reviews on those things are fantastic so far from what I can tell. The videos that I've seen from them are awesome. I unfortunately have not gotten any, uh, any real good bucks to share. Uh, just yet on my reveals, but I am uh, heading out in a couple of weeks on a scouting mission to a different location, and uh, that's where I think I'm going to be picking up my big ones, and I'm going to take all my reveals and throw them out there in that spot. So hopefully I've got more intel and at least some big bucks coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Next partner, Huntworth. Uh, These guys are producing great hunting clothes at an exceptional price point. Their patterns are awesome. I'm rocking the Tarnan pattern for early season. You know, here over the last couple of weeks, I've been moving trail cameras around. I've been doing a little bit of scouting. And, man, their lightweight gear has been incredible. I've been wearing their Durham lightweight pants, and those things are awesome, awesome, awesome. They've got, like, just the right amount of stretch to them, which is really helpful when you're, you know, climbing over logs or climbing under things or climbing in and out of the truck. Helps keep you comfortable. They dry really quickly, and they're super, super durable. They've got a little bit of extra uh, fabric where they need it. And all around, I'm just super impressed with those pants. Anyway, go check those guys out, huntworthgear.com. And then last but not least, Deer Lab. Deer Lab is the number one trail camera management software for hunters and land managers. If you want to learn more about Deer Lab and all of their great features, go listen to the episode I did a while back with John Livingston, the co-founder of Deer Lab. It does all kinds of great stuff. It allows you to filter your photos. It syncs up with local weather data, helps you keep track of your cameras, keeps all of your data in one place, lets you create profiles for specific deer, all kinds of functionality. It's a great program. And right now they've got a deal going on where you can get 30 days for free. They're not even going to ask for your credit card or anything like that. Just go to the website, sign up for your free trial, use it for 30 days, and when that 30 days is over and you're ready to purchase, because I think you will be, you can use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Last couple of things to say. Uh, number one, if you would, please go leave this podcast a review wherever it is you access this podcast. Five stars would be awesome. A written review, if you can do that, would be even better. And we actually have a new Instagram page for this uh, podcast. I haven't uploaded anything yet to it. I've created the page and then just kind of left it there. I've been super busy uh, with work for my other podcast and work for the network as a whole. But I promise, I promise, I promise I'm going to start posting some stuff there real soon as soon as my youngest daughter is back in school. I saw the the photos the other day of Dan Johnson celebrating his kids being back in school and I'm almost there. And when that happens, 
boy, it's going to be go time. So anyway, all that housekeeping stuff is now out of the way. Now let's jump into the conversation talking accessing hard to access properties with Dan Johnson. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is the original host of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Mr. Dan Johnson. Dan, what's up, buddy? Josh, how we doing, man? Doing pretty good. Welcome uh, welcome back to your show. <laughs> well, it, it's it's uh it's like an our show. It's there not really go. my show. It's it's like a uh uh, a team effort type deal. That's right. That's right, man. We should just pass this thing around and just let everybody take a turn. There you go. There you go. So what you what do you have going on this part of the summer, man? We're uh, what almost in the third week of August. What is what does that look like for you right now? Man, I tell you what, it is right now. It's all about getting organized for me. And what I mean by that is like, I don't know about you. Uh, or any of the other people who are listening, but I cannot wait for my kids to go back to school. These last two weeks have been just like, you want to talk about a short fuse or a parent's patience <laughs> wearing out. Yeah, <laughs> That is what is going on in my house right now. So um, tomorrow, the weekend, and I think Monday, there's no school, but Tuesday they start. I won't have any kids in the house, no fighting during the day. And like my stress level is just going to dump off right before I start hunting. And so, uh, I'll be honest, man, I'm getting pretty jacked up for this upcoming season. Yeah, man. I tell you what, this is the first year that I've had the whole, you know, stay at home and work at home with the kids. Um, yeah. you know, since COVID it, it's been tough. I've got two that are in school already, but one that's still home and the one that's still home is the four-year-old. So it's like constant needs, you know, throughout the day, yeah. uh, not at all self-sufficient. Yeah. So yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Can't wait till, uh, till they're all back in school. But, but yeah, that, that time of year when we're getting organized, we're getting excited, we're getting pumped up. What, uh, what's exciting you for this, this fall? Man, it's a couple things, really. Um, one is always the out-of-state hunts that I go on. Um, I'm going to South Dakota for sure. There's been some rules and regulation changes in Nebraska. Uh, so I'm debating on if I'm going to go to Nebraska or Oklahoma or Missouri or Wisconsin or Minnesota. I'm not going to go to all those places, but I'll probably pick one out of that bunch and, and try to hit. But then on top of that, uh, I got a, I picked up, I lost a farm. Actually, I lost a hundred acres. Uh, a landowner passed away and his kids have decided to sell it. And so I won't be able to hunt on that farm this year, but I did get access to a new farm and that it's, it's a, it's about the same or no, it's about, uh, an hour and a half away from where I live. And so it's a little bit of a commitment to go and hunt there, but uh, I scouted it. I have some trail cameras up. I've got some cell cam intel coming in. And so I'm pretty excited about uh, um, that farm because it's in a real good neighborhood and there's already some pretty decent bucks on camera. Oh, no kidding. So what what's the size of this yeah. farm compared to the one that you lost? Yeah, so I lost uh, 105 acres on the the farm that i mean it's right down the road it takes me 10 minutes to get to so that's why it sucks to lose that one yeah because that that's that's a hop out uh honey you mind if i go hunt real quick yeah no problem go out for two hours come home yeah you know not like i'm not even gone this 
is like 240 acres, but a majority of it is agriculture and pasture. There's no, there's no uh, livestock on it, but it's just little, couple little fingers of timber, uh, and then a long narrow strip of timber, uh, kind of spread throughout this little area. So you look at it like that. It's not a lot of actual hunting locations per se. It's more like, oh man, I want to say like 50 acres instead of 200 and, uh, you know, 240. With that said, it's like I said, it's in a, it's in a really good neighborhood. I've, I've um, got some decent bucks on trail camera. So I'm excited I think my favorite part about this opportunity is to like start the process of learning a new property again. I, I find that really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. How, how long has it been since you've picked up like a new private piece like that in Iowa? Man, it's been a long time. Okay. Um, so about five years ago is when I picked up that hundred acres that I just lost, hunted that. And there were some good deer on it, but I was just starting to figure it out, right? Mm. I was just starting to figure out. It, it was one of those properties that I don't know if you've ever hunted or any of the listeners have ever hunted um, on a property where maybe 50 years ago, 20 years ago or something like that, it was 100% cattle pasture. The cattle had, had been moved out and ag had moved in. And so all of the the pasture slash timber area is this nasty thicket of multiflower rose thorns honeysuckle you know any land manager would say hey we need to get all of these invasive species out <laughs> but at the same time you know but at the same time it made for excellent habitat for these deer to live in sure. and so that's what held them that's why they were there uh so um it sucks to lose it but it is what it is yeah. Anything on this new property that you're like, man, I'm about to give this guy a name because I want to chase him this summer. Or are you just, are you just writing off? I'm not going to count these bucks until September, October. Yeah, man. You know, just as well as I do that when you start to get fired up about a specific buck over the summertime, especially if he's showing up on trail camera and I won't lie, the first deer that showed up, the first deer that showed up on my cell cam was a shooter buck. Uh, <laughs> so he must've been Gosh. close when I set it up. And, and so I, I went in, set it up, he shows up. And so far there's probably two, maybe three shooters, uh, on camera so far, but they're all kind of hanging out together. So, you know, just as well as I do that when the velvet comes off, I'm already starting to see dominance. Like there's this one buck who he'll, he commands this little mineral site that I, I put out any deer that's there, he'll walk in, his ears will be back, he'll tilt his head, and it's it, he's showing his dominance. He's not the biggest antlered buck, but he, he has a huge body, and, um, and so I get excited when I see those pictures, but I have to remind myself, because of years of experience, that this doesn't mean that this is going to be their home range come uh, October 1st. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any, like, any like history, not historical knowledge of this property, anybody you can talk to that can tell you like, Hey man, you're going to lose 80% of the bucks or, Hey man, this is a farm where they kind of stick around any of that knowledge. No, no real information other than a guy who hunts and lives about a mile North of that farm. And he's uh, the only thing he's really told me is that it's in a really good neighborhood as far as deer 
uh, age class, uh, decent bucks, you know, uh, sex ratio, the, the bucks versus does. So it's in a, it's in a fairly decent, um, uh, area. And so other than that, I don't have any knowledge of, Hey, maybe early, early seasons better than late season, or once the crops come out, they do this or they do that. So this is something that I'm going to rely on my trail cameras to do and just time in the stand. Yeah, for sure, man. So with this one being an hour and a half from your house, like, is it closer to your other properties or is it like in a whole, whole different direction? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Unfortunately, my, from, so my main farm, uh, from where I live is about, I can be in a tree stand. If I leave my house now, I can be in a tree stand in one hour and 15 minutes. And, and, but this one is, is further away in a complete opposite direction. So I have to go one direction and then drop down on a whole bunch of, uh, um, different like two lane black tops. So it's not like I can bounce back and forth to them. It's almost like a, a, a triangle where every, like my house and these two properties are the, all the exact same distance away. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, man. I, yeah. I was hoping it was like, you were going to be like, yeah, man, it's 20 minutes down the road from my other spot. Oh dude. I wish, I wish it was, but it, uh, this, the way this property kind of fell into my lap, uh, the, the hunter who was hunting it before me, unfortunately, uh, passed away due to some, uh, a battle with cancer. And so the landowner, I had a discussion with the landowner and, and he's not a hunter. Uh, so he decided he would let me hunt graciously. And wow. so I'm very thank Yeah. I'm very thankful for that. And, um, I just hope that I can get out there and, and, uh, I don't do the right thing. And, and, uh, I don't know, respect I don't know. There's a a part of me, this is going to sound, there's no strategy involved in this little part of it, but there's a part of me that wants to go out there and and do this property justice for the hunter who passed away. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. Like get, get out there and slay a giant for this guy who unfortunately doesn't, isn't, you know, hopefully there's hunting in heaven, you know, where he's at, but, uh, uh, down here in Iowa, it's as close to it's as close to deer heaven as you're gonna get. So I, I feel <laughs> like there's a little bit there's a little bit of me wanting to find success on this property to I don't know make this guy smile from above or something like that. I don't know. It's just a weird thought. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Get out there and make it happen. Kind of, kind of, I don't know, in honor of him or to kind of yeah. earn, earn your place there. Now, I mean, you're kind of inheriting this. I mean, dude, just yeah. to get just to get permission in a state like Iowa yeah. is is huge as it is. Yeah, anywhere really, it's yeah. tough. I mean, it's it's getting tougher and tougher for people uh, to f- uh, find permission uh, on any type of private pieces. And again, especially in this part of Iowa, where uh, every everybody is hunting at some, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, let's uh, let's jump into talking a little bit of of strategy today. As we talked off air a moment ago, um, one of the things you mentioned talking about was accessing properties that are difficult to access. So if you've got yes a, a property that's one way in, one way out, or I'm thinking for the guys who are who are you know like me, let's say you've got a you've got a 
60 acre parcel, but only 10 acres of it is woods. You know, the rest of it's ag yep. ground and you're coming in from the high spot at the road. So every deer that's bedded on that property or right around that property is going to see you coming in. It's really tough to access. Yeah. But guys who are hunting yeah. permission farms, man, you got to be super, super careful. You can blow a 40 out really, really quickly. So let's jump yeah. into talking a little bit about that. Maybe you give me an example of some of the types of properties that you hunt and how you're, uh, how you're accessing those. Yeah. So, um, the two properties that I've just pretty much talked about, right. The, the property that I lost was a giant rectangle one way, uh, the, there was two pieces of it. There was a, a North piece and a South piece. The South piece was a long rectangle that was East West. So, and the road came up from the West and the road was on the West side of it. So you had to access it from the West side. Right. And if it's in a morning hunt, you had to walk through a, uh, an ag field to get to any type of tree stand location. So on a morning hunt, that's difficult, right? Because yeah. the deer, where are they going, where are they trying to go to the main food source, which is a ag field for the most part. Uh, the other one is North South. The road was on the North side and I had to access it, uh, from the North side and only the North side. I did my due diligence uh, during the off season. And I tried to knock on the landowner's doors to the West of the property and the East of the property, both of them hunted. So they did not give me permission to walk through their property to maybe for better access. You know what I mean? For an access route. Yep. So I had to get, I had to get creative on that property to try to find the, the best way in that didn't spook that, that spooked the least amount of deer. I felt, I feel like I was always bumping something walking in on, on this, but, uh, once I learned kind of a little bit on how the deer moved afternoons, I would do one thing mornings. I would do something different. And now on this new farm that I have access to, it is a, it's like an L. Okay. And so I have to access it through the East but you, in order to get to the north part of this property, I have to go through this piece. And it's not like it's connected. It is a square. And then on the top left-hand side of the square, the only the corners match. So there's only one two-track that goes through a corner. And so in order for me to get to that northwest part, of the property. I have to go through that corner every single time. And like you said, it's on a, it's on a high spot of a slope. So if there's anything in this timber or anything standing in this pasture, when I get there, it's going to see me. So I have to try. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to have to try to figure that out on the fly be ultra careful on my access routes when I, uh, when it's time to start playing the game. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you have a plan at this point? Like, like you said, you're going to have to figure it out kind of as you go, but like, what are you thinking at this point? I mean, that's a, that's a tough spot to get through. Cause you're, it sounds like this property is going to be really tough to hunt it, you know, cause you're basically alerting yeah. everything that you're there before you even start. Yeah. So here's, here's how this works. <laughs> excuse me, when it comes to access, right on hard to access 
And I can tell you from the guy that I've talked to uh, that the surrounding people are all hardcore hunters as well. Okay. okay. They're not going to, they're not going to let me walk a fence row. They're not going to let me cut through their fields, things like that. Yep. And so what I am going to need to do is it's going to be one of those properties where I have to wait for the right conditions to get in there. Now, as we get into the uncertainty of the rut, maybe I'll be able to get away with a little bit more, Yep. but I'm going to have to really focus on walking in all of the low spots using trees and terrain features to block my movement, walking, you know, like walking straight lines, uh, to get to a spot, then take maybe an angle to get to another spot, then take another angle. So that just, so, so I'm hidden. And once I'm into the timber, I could probably walk into a, uh, a crick bed and then use a crick bed to mask some of my movement so uh, I'm not necessarily skylined or uh, not all of me is exposed uh, when it comes to walking walking in so um, that's one thing that I've that really stands out when you're a western hunter is everybody just says dude you cannot skyline yourself don't skyline yourself because once you skyline yourself you're done yeah if the deer see you in your skyline if you're not skylined um then you can get away with a little bit more. With that said, most of the timber on that northwest portion of the property is on the west fence line. And the high part of the, the, the higher elevation of the property is right down the middle of it. So one thing I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do is on morning hunts and on afternoon hunts, depending on the wind direction, I will have to skyline myself for just a little bit, but I will walk the low spot of the property, hop over the ridge at, at the point, uh, at a point where trees will be blocking me from potentially being skylined and then dropping straight down into the crick bed and walking a crick bed either direction of wherever my tree stand location is going to be. So those are just a couple things that I'm thinking about right now where I can uh, be the least amount of detected when it comes to uh, walking in and out of that particular property. Yeah, and how how wide are we talking about when we're... Because I'm, I'm imagining this L with, you know, this ridge line kind of down the middle. You're going to be accessing, basically walking down as, I'm guessing, kind of either the middle or far east uh, of this property. How wide is it? Yeah, so th- uh, the bottom portion of the property is like a, a hundred and, I think it's a hundred and twenty acre square and that's where all the ag is and on the northwest side of that is where there's a uh, um some some timber that kind of comes into play or uh, like a little fingers with some grass and some crp the north of that yet is where that corner that i talked about and above that is another 80 acres and so the and that's mostly pasture and a little crp and that's where the the strip of timber goes along the the west fence line Gotcha. And so that is, so it's all west of a creek, 
All the timber is west of a creek. There's a little there's a little bit of timber on the east side of the creek, but most of it is mowed for pasture. There's a very small finger that comes up to a dam wall and uh, or like a pond wall, excuse me, a levee for a pond. And there's some trees up in there. And I think what I'm going to be able to do is use the pond as kind of a, a barrier where I can walk around one way or the other or even walk down to the pond and walk the bank of the pond up to the pond wall and then drop straight down in the, in from there where there's a little bit more cover. And so really what I'm going to try to avoid is just being exposed in the wide open uh, and, and just trying to stay in in some cover, just kind of like what deer are doing. Yeah, Dan, I got to tell you, I've got this mental image of you, man, just like sneaking through this place like a ninja. Like I just <laughs> I'm, wanna, dude, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try, man. I, I need to see try. all out belly crawling. Like I need, I need some commitment here. <laughs> right. Well, the bad thing about the belly crawl is I get poison ivy real bad, Uh-oh. and so. I don't, I don't belly crawl anymore unless I'm out West. I mean, I like, I don't get me wrong. I love big bucks. I love chasing deer, but one thing that I hate more than I love anything else is getting poison ivy or poison oak or something like that. So I don't, I don't risk that at, at all. I'm cause, cause once I start to itch, I'm a big sissy and I'll complain about it until it's gone. <laughs> Oh man, Dan, you and I are complete opposites on this front. I do not get poison ivy. I don't react to it. Okay. Now I hate you. Now so there's a part of me that doesn't like you anymore. <laughs> like I, I can literally, I can literally grab the stuff. Like when I was a kid, we would be cleaning off shooting houses and stuff like that for, uh, for the, you know, the upcoming deer season. And if there was poison ivy growing up, it, they'd be like, Josh, grab that. And so I just grab man, it and rip it crazy. down. Crazy. But I've that's been crazy. told, I've been told though, it could kick in at any age. Like, so don't be dumb about it because apparently exactly one day I can just decide to be allergic to it now and my body will freak out and like have to go to the hospital. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's cool. Uh, good for you. Bad for, bad for <laughs> me. Sure. Sure. Well, all right. So, uh, talking about access, do you give a lot of credence to, well, let me, let me take this back. I've got a property that I hunt that has difficult access as well. It's a north-south property, very skinny, very, very long. But with the way it lays out, there's a, a creek and timber on the, the east, and it's all ag field to the west. And it's probably, I would say, 125 to 150 yards wide. Um, but this particular property is almost a mile long. So yeah. it it's a it's a decent sized property. It's just really long and skinny. It's more it looks like it used to be just some kind of easement, basically. Yeah. Uh along this creek, yeah. between a creek and a and a farm field. Now, the way I have accessed this to be creative is uh basically to just ignore my access. And to just say, you know what? I'm just going to walk into here and I'm going to stay on this main road because it gets a lot of traffic. And then when it's time, I'm going to, I'm going to head perpendicular to wherever I'm hunting and I'm, and it's just going to be a straight line and I'm going to be in the timber for as little time as, as possible. And it seems like in this spot, I can get away with almost anything. And I watch other people get away with almost anything access in this place because the deer are so used to human intrusion in this spot. That's not threatening. 
Do you run into that on any of your spots or have you seen that before? Man, it's tough, right? Here's one thing that I have learned because I have a property similar to this, right? It's not long and narrow, but it is, it goes back a long ways. So I have options. I can park it by the barn and I can just haul it back there. I mean, I mean, I have to, I have to walk all the way back there, but I actually think that I'm doing a disservice by walking that far. I honestly think that because I'm in farm country and there's active trucks and trailers and combines and tractors running through properties, you know, different times of the day that it's best for me to take a vehicle as far back as I possibly can. Or uh, this year, man, I am considering buying an e-bike for long walks and, and, you know, and, and I think a deer will look at that and they'll go, huh, that's just a a car or a vehicle. It's not necessarily a threat to me, like a human sneaking through the woods per se. So with that said, I'm thinking that I've noticed that I see more deer on this farm where I have to go all the way back when I take a vehicle drive it back as far as I can and then just kind of tuck it into a low spot yep. as opposed as opposed to making a big long hike in where I'm huffing and puffing and I start to sweat and you know and it's just it's not as it's not it's slower so there's more scent distribution that's being done as opposed to riding a bike or um you know, a truck taking it all the way back. And yeah, they you may bump them off the fields, but the second those those trucks go the truck goes by they're back to kind of acting normal because there's no real threat to them yeah yeah well and that's like this this property that i'm talking about there there are no vehicles allowed onto the property but a ton of people hike and a ton of people kayak and canoe and all that stuff down the creek Mm -hmm. so i'm using both of those for access um you know when i go in when i go in in the morning like if i'm not going to be using water access on this spot um, because water allows me to come in from the north instead of from the south, which is really nice. It just takes a long time to get there. Um, so when I'm coming in in the morning, right, let's say I'm heading in from the south or coming in even for the afternoon even, I will just park in the regular old hiker's parking lot just like everybody else. I will throw all my gear on. I walk down the trail like I'm making noise just like any hiker would. I don't do anything different. And it seems like, you know, I've watched deer watch people you know, as they walk down the trail and unless somebody stops and notices them or unless they have a dog that, you know, realizes that there's a deer there, the deer just kind of watch as they walk by, just like they did the vehicle that you're talking about. And then they go back to normal as soon as that person's gone. Yep. Yep. But, uh, and that's, that's, yeah. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to think of any other, I mean, you just kind of really explained the water access is great. It is absolutely great. Not deer just don't think of a threat floating down a river or floating no. down a, a creek or a stream. I know a lot of guys who actually use motorboats, like John boats, to get back into on some bigger uh, waterways. You heard, you know, you hear a lot of people do that and and find success. And here's another thing. Uh, this is always a conversation that I've had on some other podcasts of, are you more of a threat if you're taking it slow and going quiet and, and, and 
and trying to be sneaky about it because there's the other thought of this whole side of thing where it's just bulldoze it, right? Just go right, you know, don't try to be quiet, just walk as quickly as possible. And so when it comes to that, um, what you're doing is you're, you may be making a bigger disturbance, but you're getting to the tree stand location or the blind location quicker. And then there's more time to recover from when you get into the stand to the time that it's actually time to hunt. And that, that example is on for, for the most part, a morning hunt, right? Where it's dark, you can't necessarily see things probably can't necessarily see you as well. And so you're just, you get there, you make some noise, you get into your stand and then you're just quiet. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I've even had it happen where I make some noise and then like they come to investigate, they're curious animals. They, they, they come to investigate and then the sun comes up and they're there. Right. So, it's hard to tell because every property has a different, you know, pressure means something different on every property in every state. And so if it's uh, if it's a highly pressured property with a lot of human intrusion, the deer aren't going to take any chances. Now, if it's a low pressured property, um, a deer might put up and tolerate a, a little bit of pressure and then recover quick from it. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount, as well as their bendy clamp mount, to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target, and you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial, and then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. I've kind of been running a little experiment in my backyard that kind of plays into this. So... Um, a lot of people know I, I just moved to a new house. We've got deer in the backyard pretty much every day. And I've noticed that when I walk outside, if I like just walk out there, like nothing's going on and I just open the, the door of the deck and I just walk out onto the deck, no big deal. Like I'm going to cook or something like that. The deer just kind of stop, look at me and then move on. But like, if I try right. to like crack the door open and like slowly come outside, or if I like come slowly sneaking around the side of the house, it's like I trigger something different in their mind and they turn inside out. 
Yeah. I don't know if they just associate yeah. me as a predator because, oh, look, he's like sneaking at this point. I mean, I, I don't know if they're smart enough to figure that out, but. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hilarious. Um, I have, I've walked into the woods before where I start to creep and a doe will pick me off or an animal will pick uh, a, a deer will pick me off and they'll stop and they'll blow and they'll blow for 40 minutes. Right. And, and then they just blow out the whole timber. Right. But at the same time, this is no joke. A handful of years ago, uh, I watched a combine pick a cornfield, an entire cornfield. And I was watching a bedded buck and he was a mature bedded buck, probably 40, 50 yards from where the combine made its pass. He didn't even stand up. No kidding. And so, and so that deer said, Hey man, it's uh it's a tractor. It's not like it's coming in hard on me. It's not like it's creeping or, or a twig snapping. So I think from a, from a, uh, I don't know, a biology standpoint, they must have the ability to decipher that, right? If it's a loud yeah. crack noise, like a, a branch falls out of a tree and it just crack, 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 cracks all the way to the ground. They'll look at it and then they're like, oh, okay, well, it's just a branch falling out of the ground. You know, their brains probably don't allow them to identify that. It's more of a binary, like, is it a threat? No, I'm safe. Is it a threat? Yes, run, you know? So, I don't know. From from that standpoint, I think they're able to, like, determine fairly quickly what is a threat and what is not. Yeah. Man, I, I want to come back to the e-bike thing. So, yeah, I have been... I've been looking at, at e-bikes recently as well, and I'm trying to figure out how to get one without my wife divorcing me. Um, <laughs> have you have you figured that out yet? Like how, how to get an e-bike without my wife divorcing me? Yeah, yeah. No, I think dude, my wife already there are wants to divorce that are like me. Like seventy five hundred bucks, man. Yeah, but there's also some that are. So the ones that I've been looking at, I I'm sorry I don't have the name on my. Um, off the top of my head, but there is a brand of e-bike that has fairly good torque, but it is low enough on the wattage or the battery or the power of however they, they rank them where it, it, I think it's considered a class one and a class one is the lowest form of e-bike that they, there is. There's the, the ones you're talking about, are, I think they're called class three and they're okay. basically a, a, a motorbike where they'll go up any hill and they'll, they will, uh, they're big and tough and things like that. And, but those have a much more powerful motor and wattage and battery. The reason I'm looking at the little, small, cheap ones is because they have the same weight rating system as some of these others. But based off some states' rules and regulations, the lower wattage e-bikes are legal and they're not considered a, um, a motorized vehicle on public lands. So yep. some of those e-bikes are actually legal to ride on public lands where motor vehicles are not allowed. Yeah. Do you know that threshold? Uh, I, I think it's under 500 Watts. So the one that okay. I was looking at was 450. I think it was. 
So, okay. but but again, all of that changes based off the the rules and regulations for that given state or that uh, that property. And so, like BLM ground might be different from grassland ground, might be different from state ground, might be dif- different from county ground. Some states say absolutely no e-bikes. Some say, hey, as long as it's a class one, you're cool. Some, you know, and, and so it depends on the, the state and yeah. the property. If it's if it's federal, state, or county. Yeah. Yeah, I know like in Wisconsin where I'm hunting this year, um, bikes are like a big no-no. It doesn't matter what kind of bike. They don't want mm-hmm. you to have any kind of bike riding on the trails. Uh, right. Meanwhile, in, in northwest Georgia area where I'm going to be hunting this year, they are like, ride a bike wherever the heck you want. Yeah. And we don't care how big it is. We don't care how fast it goes. Just no four-wheelers is kind of yeah. their thing. So uh, that's yeah. really what's got me looking into it is is the hunting in Georgia because it's like, man, there's a locked gate, and then there's a three-mile road behind that gate. Yeah. And I really don't care to spend an hour and a half walking down a two-track. Right. The only issue is there is a difference between a, a bicycle and an e-bike. So that's where you have yep. to look at, make sure you look into your, uh, your rules and regulations. But again, that's a great access opportunity, especially for, um, places out West where if you can get away with getting a, a low wattage e-bike and, you know, obviously it's probably not going to work if you're high country mule deer hunting out in the, you know, out in Colorado, but it might in some of the states like Kansas or Nebraska or Oklahoma, where it's a little flatter and you can follow a, a trail or a two track down, down for a while. It just makes access a, li- a little easier. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, I want to come back to some of these, these properties that you're hunting with, with the access on them. Right. Do you have the ability to plant anything on these properties or are they just strictly like, Hey, you show up and hunt. We don't want you planting anything. Yeah. So as of right now, I just, I, I literally just got permission for, for this property two weeks ago for the first time. So I'm not going to be going and asking the landowner, Hey, do you mind if I plant food? You know, like, can I plant food plots? I I don't, I don't want to overstep my boundaries. I want to, I want to get to know him a little bit better. Uh, I want to talk to him and I want to see what the deer are doing because if I, if I, feel like I can harvest a really good or, you know, kill a really good deer. I feel like I don't need to because they're on the property from a bedding standpoint and they're going to other places for, uh, for food in the afternoons. Right. Hmm. So to, to me, if I can get them going out at a certain time and coming in at a certain time, that really patterns, that really makes deer patternable. So yeah. if I, if I can say, you know, Hey, I, uh, I want to, I want to hunt this morning hunt. All the deer are off the property because they're on a different food source, man, that makes it easier if they're coming back through the property, um, either as a, uh, as a, a travel corridor or as a, as a bedding area. And so if I plant food there, then what will happen is deer will stay there, right? They'll use it as a food source. And so it may actually hurt me if I plant uh, any type of food source there. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm yeah. wondering about planting for like screening cover. Like, have you oh. used any of that kind of stuff in the past for 
for access. I mean, no. obviously from a food perspective too, that, that changes access as well. Yeah. But like any screening cover opportunities. Yeah. I, I, I have never, but one, my buddy owned seven acres uh, with a house one time and I planted a food plot. It didn't really go as planned, but uh, that's, that's my only experience with food plots. I've never done a food plot. I've never done, um, uh, any type of, let's see, I've, I've never done a food plot. I've never done any type of a screen cover or anything like that. I've just kind of had to rely on what was, uh, what was there in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Do you ever, do you ever look at these guys that have like the ability to really manicure their property? <laughs> like there's a guy I had on the other day. Uh, on the other show on the Wisconsin Sportsman and we were talking about access and all kinds of things and the dude's posting on Instagram these really beautiful pictures of basically these access tunnels where both sides of this thing are planted with this impenetrable screen that he can access through and he's not seen the deer aren't crossing the path because it's you know thick in between and there's no reason for them to to want to pass through do you ever get jealous of that Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, what, I don't know what, how to answer that question. These guys are on highly managed properties where they're able to, you know, throw lots of money into habitat improvement, food plots, um, habitat management, things like that. I just gotta, I just gotta deal with what I work with. And so, because I can't do that, I don't have the, um, equipment. I don't have, uh, any property that I own or lease, right? Everything I have is permission. So I just, I gotta, I, I don't even think about it really. Would I like to someday? And I had the time, like the time also to do it. Yeah, it'd be awesome. But I just omit all of that thought from my head because I don't have that, that access to that type of equipment or, or funds. Sure. Sure. I I think even if, and, and I bet you're probably similar. I bet even if I had a property that I could really manage and dial in like that, like part of me would miss being on a property where I'm just given a set of circumstances and I just have to figure it out. Right. That's what actually, you know, that's what actually makes people a, a good hunter. Right. I think, I feel like there's a difference between someone who's a good hunter versus someone who's good at manipulating habitat. Right. I mean, if you really wanted to, if you really wanted to, you could own a big piece of property, you could create an awesome bedding area, and then you could create this beautiful food source with like down trees and, and a whole bunch of stuff just to funnel deer right into it and, and bull, you know, bulldoze trees down and, and make basically a, a levee or a wall around it. So there's one way in and one way out. And, and that's hunting in a different way but not necessarily on the free flowing terrain that I'm used to. Right. Because I don't, I don't have the ability. So there's, it's two different types of ways of doing the same thing. And that's ultimately trying to shoot a deer. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, Dan, anything else on the, on the access front? Like, are you, are you using water access at all? Are you, you know, anything else that you're doing? Uh, I do do a lot of water access uh, on a couple pieces of the properties that I have access to, and it's simply walking in a creek or a creek bed and staying as low as possible. I, you know, I, I don't have a boat yet, but <laughs> along with the e-bike, there's a neighbor 
down the street from me who tried to sell his boat and he didn't sell it for what he wanted, but now he's moving. So I'm going to take this opportunity to reach out to him again and try to get a a lower price out of him for this boat. There it is. And so I might have a boat. It's nothing fancy. It's just something that I'm going to probably do, uh, use to run bank poles on the river and to, uh, actually, uh, um, use, get some water access for some of these hunts that I might go on this year. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. That'd be sweet. So yeah. would you open that, would that open up like some, some more public opportunities for you? Is that what you're thinking or is it, yeah. or do you have def- river definitely. access to some of your properties? Uh, I do have river access to some of my properties. The only issue is water's real low this, t- this year. And so I don't know how good a motor motorized John boat would do, but there are some places that I've been looking at where the water and the lake is, uh, like the river or the lake is a, a little bit higher. And so, you know, it's lake access. And so that would be an opportunity for that as well or the, the e-bike. So I'm debating, do I want to, do I want both or do I just want one, one or the other? And so they're probably going to be somewhere around the same price. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, under, under $1,500. I don't want to spend $3,000, but I feel like if I take care of this stuff, it'll, it'll last me for a while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One, one more thing. I just thought of this on, on the access front. Like, are you allowing access to determine like what time of day you're going to hunt a specific property like are are there properties that you're like look I can't hunt that in the mornings because I blow every deer out or are you are you just saying like no no this is my property to hunt and I'm gonna I'm gonna take my chances yeah it's risk versus reward really is what it is um I know from hunting let's say my main farm that I've been hunting for like man almost 17 years now I feel 15 years, 15 or 17 years. I know that property fairly well. I know where I can and can't go during certain hunts, right? Mornings tend to be a struggle because like I said, I have to, I have to drive all the way back, back there, or I have to walk a long ways to get there. And so, um, I, man, I don't like to say never. I like to be as creative as possible. And if I continue to fail at something over and over again, like if I get busted from the same spot doing the same thing, well, that's shame on me. But if I'm going in, I'm trying something and it doesn't work, then I I use that as a learning experience, right? And so if my access is bad on something, maybe I say, hey, maybe I need a quartering wind. Let's say maybe I need a northwest wind or a northeast wind or I need a south wind or something like that. Change it up a little bit. Really be observant of what the what the winds are doing, not only when you are walking, when you're in the tree stand, but when you're walking to it, right? Because there's consequences where, man, you can, the wind may funnel down into a certain area and just concentrate your scent all day or as you're walking in and you're blowing, you're actually distributing your scent to a much larger surface area than you would be if you took a different access route uh, to a low spot where for the most part in a morning hunt, thermals are coming down and they all kind of, 
they all kind of pool into, let's say, a crick bed. And then if you have a predominant wind that goes with the flow of that crick bed, man, you can really concentrate your um, your scent into a very small surface area. And yeah, there's always a risk that deer are going to smell it. But at the same time, if it's concentrated in a very small area moving with the wind and getting pulled down by thermals, well, there's also a big chance that more deer are going to be able to go through that area um, and, and not, and not find you a threat. Yeah. Are, are you willing to, to take big risks when it comes to like being smelled? So like being seen, being heard, we've kind of addressed those a little bit with, you know, low spots that you're walking in and that kind of stuff. But like yeah. when it comes to being smelled, like let's say you're walking past a bedding area on the way in, uh, but you're going to one further back and you're really banking on that one further back. But to get there, you've got to blow one out on the way. Are you willing to take that kind of risk risk with your access or are you, are you being that careful where you're like, I don't want to blow out anything on the way in? Yeah, man, that question is not a short answer. And I, the reason I say that is because um, here's what I believe. I believe that deer can judge if something is a, is a threat based off the concentration of the scent that they smell. So if I am standing 10 feet away from a deer and they smell me, they're going to get a big fat whiff of me. And they're going to be like, holy cow, I'm out of here. They'll blow out. Now, if I'm 400 yards away from them and they catch, you know, because as my scent goes in a certain direction, as I'm, let's just say, walking through an area, They'll smell that, but it won't be potent. You know what I mean? So it, it, it yep. will be basically watered down with every other scent that's out there. They'll get, they'll get some smell of me because their noses are amazing, but I don't think they would they judge that as the same threat as if I was 10 feet, 20, 10 yards, 20 yards away from them, right? Yep. So if I'm taking... If I'm trying to avoid a certain area and J hook in or like walk a whole, like walk a long ways away from something, then take a right turn and then walk straight to it. Um, I feel like I can get away with something. If they smell it, they have time to recover a little bit and then maybe they'll work through the area with that said, okay. though, with that said, um, I do, I do use some products uh, that I really do think help with access. And that is number one an ozonics. I think that helps water down the, the scent profile and number two nose jammer. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever like what the whole, the whole spiel behind nose jammer is that you spray it on your body. It smells like vanilla. Really. That's all. It's like vanilla extract. And so, what that does is you're have you ever walked into a, a casino or a uh, or a smoke shop or a p- even a pizza place you open the doors and all of a sudden it's just this or, or the house of a smoker and all of a sudden oh, yeah. you get this huge whiff of cigarettes and you can't smell yeah. anything else then after a while yeah. your your brain adjusts that and says, oh, well, it's not, you know, now I can smell the coffee. Now I can smell the, you know, what's for lunch or things like that, right? It, it, it 
it uh, it balances out your 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 sense of smell and i think that's what that's what is happening when i spray something like nose jammer all over my my body i'm walking as far as access is concerned, I'm walking and they get a huge potent whiff of that. And they're like, Whoa, what is that? It's not a threat. So I'm not too worried about it. And by the time that I am past them, their nose is balanced out and I'm not like, I'm not there anymore in the, in, in the scent cone. So, um, I use, I use product. I use some products like that, that I really do, uh, feel help me as far as access is concerned. I, and then it allows yeah, me to man, it, it allows me to be more aggressive in my access yeah. routes too. You know, I've got to be. I, I haven't used the the nose jammer stuff. I use ozone for my clothing. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think that's just a no brainer. Like if you're not doing that, then man, you're missing out. Like it's it's super easy to keep your your stuff from getting too stinky. But yeah. the nose jammer thing, man, I've struggled with it. Like. I don't know. I, I, but I've never tried it personally. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I kind of swore off the whole cover scent, scent spray thing, uh, because I took it too seriously for a while and then it made hunting no fun anymore Yeah, because I was so concerned with my scent. Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe I need to give it a shot. So it's, it's like a vanilla flavor or a vanilla flavor, vanilla scent. Well, it tastes like vanilla too. If you get a little bit in your oh, mouth, God. but, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's like van- it's a vanilla extract of sorts, so it's real, you know, it's a real potent uh, smell. And so when you spray it, and I'm the same way when it comes to scent. The only like I weigh here's if you're going to talk about scent being distributed during an access route to scent being distributed when you're in a tree stand or a saddle or in a blind, I weigh the the scent in the blind or tree stand way higher. The, that importance is way higher than in an access route. Um, okay. Because if your access route is good and let's just say everything you've ever read about, Oh my God, uh, you're leaving ground scent. You know, you can't leave ground scent, you know, this and that. When you, when you step somewhere, you are not leaving like this gigantic pile I mean, you would have to stink really, really bad in order for you to get just picked off all the time on on certain access routes. Have I seen it happen? Yes, I've seen it happen. I've been there in the stand when a deer has hit my ground scent and went, whoa, uh, what is that? And skedaddled. But at the same time, the thousand other deer that have walked right over my ground scent uh, while I'm in the tree stand watching them, it it they they'll smell maybe they'll sniff around for a little bit but again it's not a it's not a concentrated uh scent so they understand what it is but at the same time they just don't you know they don't it's not a threat to them because of the potency level yeah yeah man yeah i'm right there with you like i i've i've only a handful of times in my life seen uh a deer just totally come undone when it crossed my ground scent yeah yeah like it's much more common for them to stop sniff it maybe kind of look around and be like okay is that joker still here and then move on about their business yeah i have a feeling it's because they were they were bumped recently or they got a whiff of you or somebody else previous to that in you know to that uh engagement almost like they were looking for something to find a threat oh yeah 
Yeah, so it, it was basically an alerted deer already. Exactly. If yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense, man. Well, dude, any anything else on the access front? I mean, I'm we could start to go into the real nitty gritty of yeah. creeks and ditches and water and and yeah. what do you, how do you access through ag fields and all kinds of stuff. But I think we've covered the basics of creative access for properties that are tough to access pretty well. Yeah, and this is one of those things as you know, this is whether you're listening to this podcast and it's your first season or you've, you know, you're, you're, you've been through several seasons. It's, I feel access routes are the most important thing. It's, they are for me, the most important thing that I think about. And I almost like to get, when I'm doing my scouting, I like to pick my tree stand locations and basically then from there reverse engineer access routes to wherever I get out. And so a lot of that has to do, there's a lot of time looking at maps, wind directions. And and so that's why when it is the hunting season, man, I'm on some type of weather app or I'm on my hunt stand and I'm looking at, uh, you know, I'm looking at, okay, the wind's doing this. I need to access this way. The wind's doing this. I need to access a different way. And sometimes if there's no good access to a spot, then maybe there's not a tree stand location there. You know what I mean? That's that's how yep. much importance yep. I play on or I give access routes. I mean, it is because if you're bumping deer going in, why are you, you know, there's no point of sitting sitting that day because you're just blowing everything out you gotta you gotta be creative and as far as time is concerned one thing that i've 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 done and i have seen other people do is you either got to get in there's some guys who like to get in real early i have a couple stand locations where trail camera data tells me that deer come are coming through at four o'clock in the morning well there's no shot at four o'clock in the morning but I need to get in there either before that, right? Before they come through or after that. And sometimes that's maybe gray light, even the sun's up a little bit. So if the more you know about the deer movement on the properties that you hunt, that will allow you to make a decision saying, okay, I need to go in early. Maybe I need to just chill a little bit, hold up, then go in, like maybe walk in a little bit, stand in the field or under a tree wait till a certain time, then go through or in an afternoon hunt. Hey, maybe I got to get in there at two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, maybe I only need to get in there right at 45 minutes uh, of hunting for that day. So the more you know about the properties that you hunt, the more you'll, you'll learn and, and you learn about access routes and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, man. And I think Kind of something underneath what you're saying there is is what I hope is the big thing people take away from this episode. It's that entry and exit routes are super important, so they're worth giving some time and some thought and some planning to. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, like for so many years of my hunting career, it was just like, well, there's the stand, and this is the quickest way there. Yeah. And so I think from what you just described, talking about the weather and taking into account, you know, what time the deer come through and the way the property lays out and all of that, you know, I think just just saying, hey, it's important. Take the time to think about it and be committed to do the extra work, be committed to put in the extra time it takes to get to the stand. 
um, for the sake of the access because it's going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah, and just keep your eyes, ears open and and watch what the wind is doing. Like watch what the leaves are doing or if you have some milkweed or some little cotton threads or something you can let float in the wind. See what that's doing when you're walking to the stand and you'll be surprised that it will help you uh, learn about how to access more uh, stealth-like. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. All right, Dan, so listen, what is your first hunting trip for the year? Is South Dakota number one? I don't know, man. Um, as of right now, it is because it's the only thing I actually have a tag for other than here in Iowa. Okay. But um, if I do go to Nebraska, it'll probably be in September at some point. Okay. Gotcha. So good yep, deal, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, and that's for mule deer, right? Is it mule deer or bust this year? If you head to South Dakota? Uh, yeah, for the most part, South Dakota is mule deer bust, but if I go to Nebraska, it's going to be any illegal deer. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Good yep, deal, yep. man. Well, good luck this fall. Appreciate your time. And, uh, where can folks, uh, find more from you? Well, there's the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, uh, but really what I want people to do is check out the Sportsman's Empire Network as a whole. I mean, you're a member of it with the uh, with the How to Hunt Deer podcast, the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, and there's so much great content on the, the Sportsman's Empire Network with guys from all over the country whether you're wanting to talk about deer hunting whether you're wanting to talk about sporting dogs whether or coon hunting whether you're wanting to talk about fishing uh gear it's all there and it's uh, all vetted really excellent high quality content yep and lots of good stuff man we're putting out a bunch every day yeah so yeah yep absolutely awesome sweet buddy well thanks for your time good luck this fall same to you man And that is all for this week. Big thanks to the emperor of the Sportsman's Empire, Dan Johnson, for making time and coming on this show. Uh, Guy's a good dude to work with, man. I I appreciate him a lot. Uh, Also, thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Go show your support for the partners that support this show and help us keep awesome stuff rolling. So, uh, you know, heading here into the fall, we've got a lot of big ideas. Uh, thinking about some bonus episodes that we can do, possibly cranking out two episodes a week. And we can't do that stuff without our partners, and we couldn't do that stuff without you listeners. So thank you so much for listening. You can find more outdoor-themed content on thesportsmansempire.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network so you don't miss a single episode. And hey, while you're at it, go check out my other podcast, the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. It's based in Wisconsin, but the content is relevant no matter where you call home. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.